when you look at these pictures, you get a sense of what black life was like. Some of them look pretty prosperous. Divine Providence was clearly operating in the lives of black Americans. Throughout history, black folks were honorable. They had integrity. That's what black people were. We were never taught that America was bad and that we were not Americans. We were raised to love America. Protesters topple a statue of Christopher Columbus and hundreds of statues have been vandalized. You see people trying to rewrite history. The American people know these names have to go. Why is that? Whenever you have something to be proud of, people have less of a chance of controlling you. This country is racist from top to bottom, from right to left. And for black people to become a part of that is for them to become, in fact, anti-black and to hate themselves. There is no country in this world that a black person would rather be. Unless, of course, they grow up in this country. You broke the contract for 400 years. We then they're fed a lie that is so deceptive The reason that that lie exists is power. There are certain people who are using the Negro in order to establish that power in Washington. And the Negro is just merely a pawn in a game that's bigger than he is. Welcome to the Father Stage. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget that the Father Stage is on subscribestar.com. So click the link in the video description to support our work. And thank you, folks, in advance. Very exciting show for you today. I'm talking with uh, Chad O. Jackson. He is an entrepreneur and influencer, best known for his appearance on the uh, 2020 documentary, Uncle Tom. If you haven't seen that, folks, you owe it to yourself to see it. But now there's an Uncle Tom Part 2 that's going to be hitting in theaters very soon now. And Chad's going to tell you all about that. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Justin. I do appreciate it. So you help, not only are you in this, you help produce it and did a lot of work behind the scenes. Tell us what your role is in that. Uh, sure. So my role was mostly uh, in researching a lot of the material that's in the film. Um, uh, as you mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur. I own a plumbing company. And after the success of Uncle Tom, uh, the director, Justin Malone, asked me if I was interested in coming on board the team so we can figure out some things we wanted to do as next steps. And so I decided to downgrade my plumbing business and come on board uh, with his uh, film company. And we've been working hard on Uncle Tom too. So we're excited about the film and excited to put it out there for everybody to see. Yeah, I am too. There's a, a lot of good feedback from Uncle Tom uh, part one. And so I'm looking, 
Which were most difficult to do, to do part one or part two? Uh, so as far as uh, which one was the most difficult, I actually didn't play much of a role in part oh. one. Uh, the guys actually came, they interviewed me, and then I got right back to work. Oh, okay. And I was, uh, whenever the film was released, I went to the premiere and was blown away about by what I saw. And so for me, the answer is is part two. That's been the most difficult just because of of the information. There's so much that you really can't put into one film. And so yeah. with what we ended up going with, it just uh, we had to make certain decisions. And so, yeah, it, it was a lot of work. Um, so you had never produced before this, right? No, I haven't personally. So when did you learn about yourself as a producer? Um. So uh, there's a lot. So, so basically, Justin Malone, who is the director right. of the film, uh, he's a professional uh, filmmaker. Yeah, uh, He knows how to tell stories. He knows how to to break stuff down in a palatable way for people to digest and to understand. And of course, me coming in um, with the information being such to where there have been people for a century basically lying and deceiving America, you just want to tell that entire story all in one fell swoop. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that I had to learn is there's just people who aren't ready for the entire truth. You do have to pace things out. You do have to slow things down and tell people the story a little bit at a time. So so I guess the, the lesson that I learned was just to slow things down and to let the story unfold and tell itself. Were there anything that you discovered in part two that black folks had gone through and what they believe and all that, that you were, were uh, and what happened in hi history that you were not aware of? Were there some, yeah. anything that surprised you and you're like, wow, what the? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, uh, whenever we got into the research, there were certain things that we didn't want to touch. And the reason we didn't want to touch them is because they are enshrined and codified into uh, the American psyche. Um, and people both on the so-called right and the left believe these things, particularly as it relates to the civil rights movement. Um, a lot of people believe that the civil rights movement was a high point for America. doesn't matter, once again, if they are religious, black, white, right, left, everybody believes that. Yeah. And so to really approach the civil rights movement in an objective way and to look at the facts, uh, the f if you let the truth speak for itself, you'll see that the civil rights movement was absolutely not a high point for America. In fact, it was a very low point of America because, once again, it took advantage of people's uh, uh, goodwill uh, because most people do want to uh, live in a country where everybody has equality, where everybody's free. That's what people want. So whenever you can push a movement to tell people that if if you go our way, this is what you'll get. Um, exa exactly what ended up happening uh, is is what's going to happen. If that makes sense, it does. Why do you think? And I've noticed that it's hard for most people to believe the truth, and it's easy for them to believe a lie. Why is that? And once they believe uh -huh. into the lie, it's hard to get. It's impossible to get them to see that they have believed into a lie. It's like they prefer to believe the lie than the truth. Why is that? Well, one of the things that's important to understand is that the people that we're, we're talking about, uh, 
I'll, I'll just call them the left for lack of a better word. <clears throat> but the left has invested so much time, so much energy in the cognitive sciences, as well as the social sciences. So they understand social movements and they understand human psychology, which means they know how to use and leverage those social movements to convince people that this is the best course of action. And so you have multiple things happening at once. You have that, and then you also have the education system. What these people figured out is if they can get into the education system and get to kids at a very early age and begin to indoctrinate them in such a way that they're susceptible and they're softened to uh, any social justice movement that comes along, so goes the rest of, of, of history. And so to answer your question about why is it so easy for people to believe a lie, I think you're asking a very deep psychological question. But I think as it pertains to this particular film, people want to know that Martin Luther King was a hero. People want to know that Rosa Parks was a hero. They were able to convince <laughs> us of all these things yeah. uh, through storytelling, through education, through media, through all of the things. And so for somebody like us to come along and say, well, hold on, let's slow down. Let's take a second look at this. Uh, if people are willing, once again, to look at the uh, truth objectively, uh, they'll be shocked and surprised at, at what's really going on. And so it, it's, it's easier and quicker to believe a lie than it is to deconstruct that lie and show people the truth. Yeah. Because a lot of people, like everything within them is fighting against the truth. And I noticed that if you tried to present the truth to you, to them, they would get mad at you about trying to even present the truth. It's like they don't want to hear it. They're just so comfort, com yeah. comfort in the lie. They don't want to even hear the truth. And it's interesting that you say that because uh, with Martin Luther King in particular, um, after we have shown people who Martin Luther King really was, what he really believed, what role he played in the civil rights movement, the number one feedback that we get from people is, well, I, I accept all that and I see where you're coming from and you present a very good case, but Martin Luther King was still a good man. And so for some, for some reason, and I think it's because of years of indoctrination yeah. And, and constantly peddling this narrative, people just refuse to to step away from enshrining this man as a god. Yes. Uh, the, the first commandment is you shall have no other god before me. Um, but for whatever reason, people insist on making Martin Luther King a god. People insist on making, you know, you name it, Helen Keller, all of these people who we've been told are heroes. Yeah. We insist on making them gods. And, and as such... We don't look to the real God uh, as it relates to how we ought to live our lives. And everything, every time, you know, the, the, the topic of race comes up, we always go back to what? Martin Luther King. And we wonder why we can't really move forward as a, as a country. Yeah. Because we, put, we make man our God. And I noticed that if, 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 people, if you know, how people put um, another man over them and make them their God, a man or a woman. But then if you if they find out one flaw in that God that mm -hmm. they have created, they'll get mad at that God and dump that God real fast and become the enemy of that God that they supported. But then they'll go and yeah. find some other God to put above them. It's not like they say, well, I'm through, right. with, I'm through with creating gods. I'm just going to be my own person. They just find another group, another God to put over them. And we can't, uh, and, and what you say is, is a very important point because uh, when it comes to Martin Luther King in general, over the past five years, there's been a lot of, uh, of information that has come out about uh, 
um, his sexual deviancy, his affairs and all these different things, his, his drug use. But we don't touch any of that information because right. we don't care about any of that. What a man does in private, that's that's on him. That's right. What we're, look, what we're looking at is what are the things that he said and how did this contribute to uh, either the positivity of black America or the destruction of black America? If you'll notice uh, from the end of slavery till around about the 1960s, Black America was doing very well, especially in the South. Yes. Uh, you know, we like to believe that blacks were free in the North and everybody was suffering in the South. That's completely untrue to, answer, totally. one, to answer the question that you asked earlier about what are some of the things that I've learned. What we learn about the South is completely untrue. Yeah. It, it's, it just is. Uh, we like to talk about how Jim Crow was oppressing black people. <laughs> A lot of that is, is nonsense. The it's fact of the matter is white people and black people were increasingly getting along yeah. in the South. And the reason for that is because they believed in God. Uh, they weren't allowing the agitation of the Marxists and the NAACP to come and muck things up. And because of that, uh, you did have a, a lot of success. And to the extent that you had Jim Crow laws, a lot of, and this is another thing they don't tell us in history, a lot of these Jim Crow laws were already going away. A lot of these Jim Crow laws were, were, were falling off the books because they were uh, uh, they were economically uh, infeasible, um, they were you know just people just didn't want them, and so to the extent that you had a civil rights movement in 1957, you had you had the SCLC and, and the NAACP and these other organizations taking credit for what was already happening. And again, um, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't mean to go on that rant, but, no, but that's it's true just. Though. Even now, man, uh, when I tell people I grew up under the Jim Crow, during the Jim Crow era, era, but it wasn't affecting us. You know, we, we worked hard, bought mm -hmm. land, did our thing, and we knew that all the white folks around did not agree with the Jim Crow thing because it was, it was about spiritual. It was a warfare right. between good and evil. And, and blacks and whites knew that for the, for the most part. And so, but when I share that on my show, there are blacks who get mad at me because mm -hmm. they have been brainwashed to believe it was so bad in the South when it really was worse up North because when I would go up North, mm -hmm. that's when I saw the blacks and the white fighting and black people crying racism or whatever they were calling at the time. And it wasn't like that down in the South. I'm like, but they can't believe me even though I was there. They don't believe that either. It's crazy. One thing that I didn't realize about Martin Luther King until years went by and I got older, I didn't know that they were ushering in socialism because I didn't know anything about socialism and all that. But I didn't know that that organization was about bringing in socialism, controlling the people other than freedom. Yeah. I thought it was about freedom. And that's another narrative that people um, just either ignore or just don't want to believe is that on the one hand, they would recognize that, okay, Marxists and socialists had their hand in the civil rights movement. So they'll acknowledge that over here. But when it comes to Martin Luther King in particular, they'll say, oh, well, he was duped. He was fooled. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. He was a Christian pastor who people took advantage of. That's not true. He know, he knew entirely what he was up to. Yeah. Um, if you read his papers, he writes about the fact that at the age of 12, he rejected Christ. Um, so how does a man, did. Yep. These are in his papers. Wow. Um, 
So he said that. And then not only that, but he said that by the age of 15, he embraced the liberal interpretation of the gospel uh, full on. Uh, another lie that people believe or, or, you know, are told is that Martin Luther King wanted to go to a seminary in the South to study theology, but none of these seminaries would accept him because he was a Negro, completely false. In his own papers, he says that I, I, I embraced the, the liberal social gospel and I intentionally went to a liberal school in the North because I wanted to, to get away from the South because he, he really uh, looked up to and admired the so-called talented 10th, W.E.B. Du Bois, and all of these atheist, socialist, black liberals in the North who, were, uh, who belonged to the NAACP. That's what he looked up to. And so get this. Here's a man who is the product of the uh, hard work and determination and the Christian uh, culture that existed in the South. That is a culture that existed, that, that produced Martin Luther King. He was born yeah. in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he says himself that the, the, the family unit in which he grew up in was intact. He never wanted for anything. Everybody got along. It was all good. So that's, that's the culture that produced him. <laughs> yeah. He rejected that culture and decided to embrace the NAACP culture of this agitative uh, 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 hyper intellectual, talented nonsense. That's what he embraced. And so, by the time he goes to to university, um, he embraced Marxism. Uh, one of the uh, uh, pastors who, after Martin Luther King died, he wrote a book uh, called "Black uh, uh, a Black Theology." I, I think is is the name of it. I forget the name of it, but his name is James Cone. He's a father of liberation theology. He says that Martin Luther King talked about his Marxist ideology in private with his staff, but he knew better than to talk about it in public because he knew that Americans, by and large, rejected communism. So he was a deceptive man um, who uh, took advantage of, of, of Black people for his own sinister goal, which is to reign in socialism, particularly with Blacks, and then into America at large. Uh, we, we researched this stuff heavily, and we didn't go uh, looking at what somebody else's commentary was. No, we read his writings and found this stuff to be true. What a mess. Um, right. <laughs> that's amazing. I didn't know all that. I knew a lot about him. You know, I've learned over the years, but I didn't know that. Do you know what made him, since he grew up in an intact family, Christian mm -hmm. family, all that, what made him change his mind what made was he traumatized what made him decide to go away from that to being such a liberal the only traumatic moment that i know of with regard to martin luther king is um he and his brother were playing upstairs when they were kids and his grandmother lived with them and he was running and her his grandmother was on the edge of some stairs and he accidentally bumped into her and she fell down the stairs and so Whenever she fell down the stairs and landed on her, her on her stomach, he thought that she he killed her. And so what he did was he climbed to the roof of his, of his house and was about to jump off to kill himself, which that's not going to kill you. But OK. Um, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, uh, his brother came running outside and said, hey, she's OK. She's up. She's walking. And then he came down the roof off the roof and vowed to uh, take care of his grandmother until she died. 
So that's the only, I guess, traumatic experience that I can point to with regard to why he would uh, end up going the way that he did. But I don't, I don't think that there's any meat to that, um, to that theory. Uh, I think what it was is that Martin Luther King fancied himself as an intellectual. He believed he was an intellectual. He says in his papers that he was always smarter than his classmates. And so the thing about intellectualism is that it goes back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan tempted Eve and said, you'll be like God, choosing for yourself what is good and evil or, or knowing what is good and evil. So it's man's desire to be God. We reject God's uh, means of salvation. We reject God's uh, authority in terms of how we ought to live and how we ought to treat our neighbor. Jesus said that, that the command I give you is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, so we don't, when it comes to like treating your neighbor uh, uh, well, we shouldn't look to Martin Luther King. We should look to Christ because he's the one who said it first. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all that to say, uh, the reason why King uh, went the way that he did is because he believed that he was the smartest man in the room and the people that he looked up to as far as his intellectual heroes were people like W.E.B. Du Bois. He wanted to be like them. He wanted to be the leader of black people. And that's the reason he went the direction he went into. He rejected uh, Booker T. Washington's uh, model of, you know, regardless of where your circumstances are, work hard, take care of your family, be a man and go get it. And when you do that, Nobody can say anything negative about you. And if they do say something negative about you, who cares? Right. It just so, roll off your back. I right. was, uh, that's amazing, man. You know, a couple of things about that is I wondered why, if, if Martin Luther King was so conservative, why was his wife so liberal? Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know that Coretta Scott was like, off the, off the, Chot with liberalism. She believed in abortion and everything else. Yeah. And so I wonder why did he have such a liberal wife? You said Martin Luther King supported abortion as well? Yeah, he did. He he received an award from Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah. And on the inscription of that award, uh, they compared him to Margaret Sanger. And he had a, 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 a opportunity as a pastor to say, well, no, I reject that. Um, I don't believe that my people should be getting abortions. He had the opportunity to do that, but no, what did he do? He said that I will cherish this award as one of my most, as one of my favorite possessions until the rest of my days. So that's, that was his reception of that uh, reward. He knew what Planned Parenthood was doing. Uh, the, the Planned Parenthood model started as a Negro project and, uh, you know, Margaret Sanger, her, how she felt about blacks is well documented. You talk about it all the time. Yeah. I don't need to repeat it here. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it's interesting because the point that you make about Martin Luther King being a conservative, there's no evidence of that at all. Right. And to the extent that he was a conservative, most of his speeches wasn't even written by him. They were written by a man named Bayard Russin. They were written by, um, who else? Uh, Clarence B. Jones, Stanley Levison. All of these men are communists. And in order to understand why communist men would write conservative rhetoric, it goes back to the communist manifesto. What they do is called utilitarianism, meaning they're willing to blend in and to, and to use familiar language that everybody is comfortable with as a, as a deceptive tool. And the idea is that once I can deceive you, I can then get in and win your trust and manipulate your worldview in such a way that 
all of a sudden you you believe what I believe and you don't even know how you got here. It's kind of like, for example, if you are a single man and you're dating, right? Yeah. Uh, let, let's say you're a wealthy man, you're dating, and a, a woman wants to get with you, but you don't know whether she's a gold digger or whether she loves you for you. Right. And so she puts on makeup, she dresses a certain way, she puts on her perfume, she does all the things, uh, and she makes you believe that she really wants you, but really she's after your money. Yeah. And so because you want to believe that, you know, you're the, you're the best thing since sliced bread. You want to believe that you're God's gift to humanity. You fall for her tricks and her lies to where all of a sudden she's taking you for everything you have. And you don't know how, how you got here. So that's the way deceptive. That's the way deception works. I want to tell you all the things you want to hear. I want to use familiar language, use familiar symbols. And, and, and all of this is, is devised and, and, and calculated in such a way to have some kind of ulterior to, to to accomplish some ulterior goal, some material motive. That's the reason why communists uh, have their hand had their hands in women's suffrage, the civil rights movement, gay liberation, uh, Black Lives Matter, every social justice movement that that dates as far back as the early 1900s. The communists had their hands in it, and they want to make you believe, particularly as it relates to women's suffrage, that oh, this is about women's rights. This is about you know, um, I'm liberating women from from the slavery of being a wife and, and, and treating everybody equally. What was their real goal? Their real goal was to expand the power of the government by taxing everybody, because at one point, only men were taxed. They wanted to tax everybody. And so and not only that, but they wanted they, they knew that the mother uh, in the home was a was the safest thing for children. For, for child rearing, yeah. because in the, in, the, in the biblical context of the home, you have the father, you have the mother, and you have the children. Um, and when you take that mother out of the context and you make her a breadwinner too, and you have both father and mother working, what then becomes of the child? Oh, the government comes in and says, well, we'll take care of the child. Let's push Head Start. Let's, push, let's, let's, let's subsidize daycare. Let's, let's uh, enforce public school. Because people think that public school, like we've, we've always had public school and it's always been, you know, this thing. But the reality is it's, it's a fairly new phenomenon. Anyway, so, so part of the women's suffrage movement was to totally uh, restructure the family unit. Yeah. And, and as a result of that, a lot of the things that has happened has simply been no good. So. What a mess! Anyway, you, you can you can you can tell me to to stop talking too. By the way, I, I tend to go on these these little tangents. No, that's amazing. Before you got involved in the movie, both movies now, um, were you? Did you have another way of thinking about it? Did you believe the lie, or were you clear as you are now? Uh, so I I grew up uh, in the church. And I've always been aware of God's presence and always knew that the way I, I live or, or lived and the way that I thought about things uh, was subordinate to God's authority, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that that God created everything and, and he's perfect. And I've always been running away from that, I guess you could say. But it wasn't until uh, I graduated high school where I was born again. And one of the things that stuck out to me uh, in the Bible was, um, and all things you do, do it to the glory of God. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and you must love the Lord, your God with all your soul, your mind, your strength. And so it's interesting because I was, I thought I was loving the Lord, my God with all those things, (laughs) except, except for when it comes to how I vote, except (laughs) to when it comes to how I engage in politics. And the reason for that is because unfortunately for a lot of black people in America, you grow up believing that you have to vote Democrat that liberals uh, are, are friends of black folks. And so you just kind of believe that by default, it does take an awakening to wake up from that stupor yes. uh, to make you realize that, well, no, uh, liberals are actually enemies to black people. Yeah, um, The Democrat party is, is actually enemies to uh, not only black people, but to America at large. And the reason for that is, is that the Democrat party was infiltrated by communists in the 1920s. And so because the Democrat Party was infiltrated by communists. Uh, they were able to uh, uh, adopt a lot of this mind manipulation that I talked about earlier in such a way that they suddenly became friends to black folks. People like to say that there was a party switch. There wasn't any party switch. But the fact of the matter is Democrats learned to manipulate their policy in such a way uh, that they tricked black people into believing that they are their friends. And that's why Black people en masse left the Republican Party and went to the Democrat Party. Uh, so to take that back to your question, um, it wasn't so much that I had a, a, a different way of thinking. I obviously did. But it, it, but one has to first uh, commit themselves to believing that God is God and I'm man. And because God is God and I'm man, I have to listen to what he has to say. And so as God reveals the truth to you, you have a decision to make. Either I'll keep believing the lie or I'll go along with the truth. Yeah. And so I feel like God every day is is revealing the truth to me. And it's it's important and incumbent upon me to go the way of the truth and not to continue to follow the lie. That's amazing. I did not know how Martin Luther King felt about uh, Booker T. Washington, because I had not heard yet until right now. And I wonder if he respected Booker T. because Booker T. was an independent man. He was an individual. And he didn't hate anyone. And he truly believed that black people could do as well as anybody else, but they have to stay on their track and do for themselves. So I, I sometimes wonder how Martin Luther King thought about him. But I had not heard anything or read anything, so I didn't know for sure. Yeah. I think the easiest uh, tell to determine how did Martin Luther King uh, feel about Booker T. Washington is to listen to what Martin Luther King is saying versus what Booker T. Washington is saying. It's two completely different ideas. That's a good point. Now, now Martin Luther King uh, may have said uh, a time or two um, on uh, several occasions that, oh, Dr. You know, Booker T. Washington was a good man or something like that. But again, all of that's political. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same thing as, you know, as uh, Nancy Pelosi saying that, <laughs> you know, George Floyd uh, was a good man or something like yeah. that. It's all political pandering. And so Martin Luther King was a political panderer. Uh, but uh, when whenever you listen to, for example, and we talk about this in the film, how Booker T. Washington said, don't focus on your circumstances, focus on casting your bucket where you are. Nice. And develop yourself as a race. And when you develop yourself as a race, nobody can deny you. So he made uh, Booker T. Washington... Uh, put the onus on the individual yes. to stand up and to be productive and to be a man. That's what Booker T. Washington did. You fast forward to Martin Luther King, what is he putting the onus on? He's putting the onus on America. He's he's making Black people feel 
uh, sorry for themselves. And, and, and he's doing this in a very manipulative, very charismatic, very charming, very poetic way. So you don't really know uh, how sinister it is. You believe that this is a man who, who wants everybody to be, to get along. I mean, for, for goodness sake, this is a man who gave the speech, the, I have a dream speech who yeah. said, I want my children to be judged not by the, the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's difficult to, to, it's, it's, it's just hard to believe that a man who would say such a thing, uh, is doing so for sinister, uh, uh purposes. Uh, but the reality is, Whenever you take the the responsibility off of the individual to be a man and to be a productive, yes. and you say that the system needs to change, uh, what that does psychologically for the individual is it takes away any incentive for that individual to get to work and to be productive. Absolutely. Because nobody, nobody is free of suffering. Everybody suffers. Everybody and their mama. Everybody and their mama suffers. And so because everybody suffers, there's always obstacles. There's always hurdles. We are not suffering is not unique to black people. That's right. But we really believe today that it is because of the rhetoric and the the ideology set forth by the civil rights movement and people like Booker T. Washington, who taught us how to feel sorry for ourselves. You know what I mean? And, and, and the thing is, the civil rights movement, in a sense, gave way to the millennial generation. Because you had the parent, the parents who were raising these kids in the '90s, who believed that the way to boost confidence is to give everybody a trophy at a sporting event, regardless of the if, yeah. of if your team went 0 and 8. You could have <laughs> lost every single game, but yeah. everybody gets a trophy for, for for participating. And so, when these kids grow up, naturally, they'll believe that they're supposed to win. They're supposed to uh, to be provided for. For no other reason than, than the fact that they breathe air. Amazing. You know what I mean? And so so there's no shame, there's no responsibility. Everything is somebody else's fault. Uh everything is everything uh it falls upon uh white people to make accommodations for me because I'm black. Yeah. It's interesting how Book and T. Washington taught individuality, working hard, being responsible, and Martin Luther King taught relying on the government and blaming others. But yet the message that should be getting out, which is from Booker T. Washington, is being kept down and kept away. And the message that should not be getting out is being pushed forward. Did Mm. Martin Luther King and the so-called civil rights movement have the same support of the media in pushing the lie that the media is supporting today with all these other so-called leaders and government that were they pushing the lie as much as they are today, the media? That's a great question. The answer is yes. Uh, because the thing is, is like the media uh, already believed by 1957 in social justice. And, and I'm not going to get into why that is, right. but they did. And so the thing is the media, much like they do today, thought that Christianity and religion was laughable. They thought that it had no place in American society. They thought that it was antiquated and that uh, if you live in the West, you should be progressive, you should be humanist in your thinking, um, that you should be, uh, in a sense, postmodern. And so they rejected religion. And so they had no interest in boosting a Negro pastor to the heights that they did, unless that Negro pastor was named Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Because the thing the thing about Martin Luther King Jr. is he grew up in Atlanta 
where he was under the preaching of his father, who was a very experienced pastor who knew who had the oratory skills and the cadence to get black people to rise to their feet in Jubilee as they worship. Yeah. That's that's the context in which Martin Luther King grew up. So he he had a front row seat to to watching his father uh, deliver sermons. Uh, and, and so when you mix that with the fact that he's naturally intellectual and the fact that he goes off to college and then comes back and he surrounds himself with the likes of Bayard Rustin, Stanley Levison and Clarence B. Jones, you have all the ingredients to uh, to, in a sense, Trojan horse socialist ideology into the Negro South. And so when you do that, um, the media starts paying attention. Yeah. Like, wait. He sounds like a, a Negro pastor. He's saying certain religious things. But if you really listen to what he's saying, he's saying the same thing that the white liberals up north are saying. We got to pay attention to this guy. And they did exactly that. Martin Luther King was not accepted by and large by blacks in the South. I remember when, that. When, and Yeah, he was not. Yeah. And in fact, I talk to people even now who are in their 60s and I bring this information up to them. And they say, well, I remember my dad saying yep. that Martin Luther King wasn't good for black people. It's funny that you mentioned that. And so and so it's interesting that that pe- that people are starting to remember these conversations that were had at the dinner table yep. in the 60s uh, pertaining to Martin Luther King. He to the extent that he was popular, he was popular among white leftists who ran uh, the media and who ran journalism. Um it wasn't until after he died and you saw the propaganda mill start turning its wills and, and, and this attempt to enshrine Martin Luther King as a deity, as a God among men, that people in my generation, uh, our understanding of the past was shaped by those people yeah. in the media. Yeah. Because the thing is, we as black folks have uh, stopped um, we believe more what people tell us than what we see with our own eyes. It's the very reason why your average black person today, well, I wouldn't say average. A lot of black people today uh, believe that America is a systemically racist country. Now, if you ask them, have they themselves experienced a racist incident? They can't give you a straight answer. Right. I noticed that. And, and to the extent that they give you an answer, you, you see that, well, that's not so much an, uh, a, a situation where somebody was racist toward you. That's more a situation where you were just insecure because it has <laughs> nothing to do with race. That's right. And, man. So, and so because that's the case, um, well, I forget the point that I was going to make. But but all of this, once again, is, is, is the manifestation. The support, about the support of the media supporting Martin yeah, Luther King. Yeah. As yeah, yeah. And so the media, the media, they 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 egg this on. They They fan these flames. I don't know if you saw... Uh, the incident, I don't even call it an incident, but uh, there was a, a Sesame Street parade or something like that. And the the cost, the the uh, the character was giving high fives and doing all these things. And there was this little black girl who put her arms up like this to get picked up. And the character said no, and then kept it moving. And then the mom went crazy. And she said, this is a racist incident. She posted it to social media. Sesame Street said, well, we'll give you a VIP experience. She said, no, I don't want that. Because obviously she's after money. Now, yeah. what's interesting about that is a lot of conservatives started to, to, to hop on social media and say, well, that wasn't a racist incident. That that woman is just being crazy. What what my perspective was on it was it's interesting to see the left eat their own because Sesame Street over the past two years 
has produced this narrative that black kids are judged by the because of the color of their skin. And so it's interesting to see Sesame Street, who is the one putting out this rhetoric, now having to endure a black woman who is saying <laughs> that they are being racist because one of their little cartoon characters didn't pick up uh, a black girl. Yeah, I, I so it's saw just interesting that. to see them. Yeah, that's deep, man. Um, um, and, and that's what Eva does. Eva try to destroy the good, and then it builds an army against the good. But then what evil eventually does is turn on each other. They'll destroy each other, too, because there's nothing in that but evil. There's no love. There's nothing right but evil. And all angry people are evil. And so they will end up turning on each other, too. And that's what you see happening with that and other incidents as well. Exactly. I suppose that Martin Luther King would love uh, the Father Messiah, Obama, there, right? Oh, yeah. And it's funny because, like, everybody, I mean, we posted uh, Uncle Tom, the original film, uh, free on YouTube. And it's interesting watching the comments roll in. And there are people who are saying that, well, Martin Luther King was a good man. And uh, it was people like Al Sharpton and, and Jesse Jackson who took his legacy and they went a completely different direction than it. No. <laughs> Martin Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton are a continuation of Martin Luther King. Yeah. It's not like they, it's not like Martin Luther King was going this way and then they went this way. Like, no, they, they are the byproduct of Martin Luther King's rhetoric and his teachings and his ideology. And the follow Messiah, Barack Obama, uh, is yet another byproduct of that same tradition, that same community organizing tradition. It's funny because I, I was talking earlier about, uh, the rhetoric, um, the mindset shift that took place in the 1960s. Uh, that is right out of the playbook of the community organizer known as Saul Alinsky, who writes in his book, Rules for Radicals, that that the community organizer, the revolutionary community organizer, if he wants to uh, to win, what he must do is to create discontent and create disenchantment amongst the people. Yeah, he must he must create chaos and confusion and bitterness and dissatisfaction amongst the people. If he can do that then he can offer a new plan, a new campaign that the people will go along with. That's exactly what Martin Luther King did. What he did, and he did that rhetorically by saying, well, we're living in two Americas. White man lives in a land of abundance. He's living in the land of milk and honey, while the Negro is suffering on an island of despair around, surrounded by an ocean of wealth and, and prosperity. And he can't, he can't, uh, he can't get his break. That's that's the rhetoric and that's the ideology or or the mindset rather that Martin Luther King was able to contribute to. That's amazing. And so, and so it's it's interesting because uh, as a result, you had a lot of, of of black students, a lot of black young people who were involved in the uh, um, the uh, I forget the name of the organization. All these organizations have acronyms that you forget them after a while. Yeah. But it was the 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 SNCC, yeah, the, the Students for Nonviolent uh, Coordinating Committee or something like that. So you had all of these students and you had the Freedom Riders, so on and so forth, who were inspired by Martin Luther King. Um, and uh, uh, a lot of them went on to be politicians. Uh, Bobby Rush, he became a politician. He became a congressman in Chicago. Yeah. Um, you, you, I, I can give you a list of all the people who went on to, to to assume these roles in politics. And so, yes, Barack Obama comes from that same school of thought of creating disenchantment, 
of of using their words to to stew and stoke uh, division amongst the people. And then magically, they're the ones who have the answers as to how we can fix it and how we can bring everybody together. That's amazing. I want to ask this couple more questions about Martin King and so many other things I wanted to get to. Um, there was a fight at one time between me and they didn't agree. Malcolm X and the whole Louis Farrakhan Muslim thing. They were calling my... Uh, um, uh, Martin Luther King, Uncle Tom, they would call him a sellout. But at some point, they seemed to have come together and agreed. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So um, to the extent that Malcolm X disagreed with, with Martin Luther King, it, it had to do with their tactics and their strategy. Uh, Martin Luther King believed that they could cause a revolution with nonviolence. And again, this is straight out of the communist playbook, uh, where you go to, you basically set your sights on a specific city, because mind you, the entire South was not this racist hotbed. That's just a lie. And so they find these cities where they know the police are unafraid to do what is necessary to break up unlawful gatherings. And so they, they, they chose these specific places in Alabama, and they didn't pull permits, and they got all these people to come from up north down to Alabama to march. Yeah. And they wanted for the police, after several uh, uh, calls to disperse and to go home, uh, to finally engage uh, with, with, with force. And so, and so to the extent that that happened, Malcolm X thought, well, you guys are just a bunch of fools. And so for that reason... Um, he he didn't want anything to do with what Martin Luther King had going on. Another reason for that was because um, Malcolm X was very aware of the kind of people that Martin Luther King had in his corner and, and in his inner circle. He knew who they were connected to and that... I thought I put that on silent. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's my brother. Um, he, he knew that... Uh, he knew that, you know, that these people were connected to, to, to several organizations, including government organizations. Um, and he saw Martin Luther King as a puppet being used by these organizations. And so once again, to that extent, he called, uh, he called Martin Luther King and Uncle Tom. Right. From my understanding, and we didn't really spend a, a whole lot of time uh, researching Malcolm X, it was after he went to uh, Mecca, and he saw all these different races of people coming together, uh, uh, harmonizing with with, with, each, with each other, so on and so forth, that he came back and he wanted to make peace with everybody who uh, wanted to uh, uh, create peace and prosperity in the United States of America. So Malcolm X is a very interesting story. Maybe we should do a film on him yeah. uh, uh, next. But, uh, yeah, we didn't spend a lot of time looking at the relationship right. between the two. Um. One quick thing I want to point I want to make is you write about the discontent in people. They always dictators always look for angry people. They look for people who mm-hmm. they can motivate if they're angry. I remember when one of the unions were first started and I I saw a documentary and I read a little bit about it. They wanted to start this union and so they went down south and they went into the black this movement thing where the black people were angry and complaining uh-huh. and they convinced the blacks that they needed a union. 
even though they didn't need one, but they convinced them that they need one because it was easier to convince angry people than it was to convince those who were not angry. You can control the angry people. And so I used to work as a um, a union steward for a union. And one thing they taught us, they trained us, is whenever we wanted to go into a business to try to establish a union, you get a union started, they always told us to look for the angry person. Look for the person that was complaining about work. Look for the person who was mad but didn't really show up for work. It wasn't doing a good job but complaining. And you get in touch with that angry person and that and 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 convince that person that you're there to support him, that he or she is right, then that person would get you into the hospital to meet with other angry workers, and from that you could start a union. But it, it always starts with the people who are angry, not those who are not angry, but those who are angry. No, what you what you said is is was perfectly put. It, it's interesting because uh, Karl Marx, who we call the father of communism, um, in his book *The Communist Manifesto*, he ends it with "Workers of the World Unite." Now, the the demand for the workers of the world unite is preceded by his manifesto of why people should be angry. Yeah. Why poor people should be angry at the rich. Yeah. Why workers should be angry at their bosses. He he's kind of stoking this anger, and he ends it with a demand of workers of the world unite, right? Yeah. And so out of that, you get the creation of unions across the country, across the world. And so the purpose of of creating unions early on was to uh, go into these locals, um, whether you're dealing with farmers, uh, uh, railroad. Uh, uh, workers, um, uh, car porters, so on and so forth, to build all these these uh, individual unions of people, and then ultimately unionize all of those uh, organizations into one world order. Um, this is very well documented, um, and so yes, it, it, it's interesting because uh, I see it as a kind of Tower of Babel kind of of situation. Yes where um, the idea is to take your eyes off God, to take your dependency off of God and to believe in, and to basically look at all of the, the, the issues that you're having to uh, endure on a daily basis. The fact that you have to, you know, wake up out of, out of bed every morning and go to work. The yeah. fact that you have to eat, you know, food to, 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 you know, take care of your body. The fact like the, the normal uh, ebbs and flows of life, these people will find a way to make you agitated by it, yes. to make you upset about it, not realizing, no, suffering is a natural part of life. Yes. And so if I can get you angry and upset at the natural ebbs and flows of life, and I can tell you, you know, what will make your situation better if you join this union, if you vote for this politician, if you if you protest and, and, and push for this policy. That's what would make your situation better. It's Satan. It, it, it's all it is. It is. So it's interesting. 100%. It's interesting that yeah, it's interesting that unions and and, and all of these different organizations like they 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 use these satanic tactics in order to grow and expand whatever it is that they're trying to build. I always tell you know I I, I practice this myself. Like I be I'm very wary of politicians of individuals. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat who are trying to get people 
angry about certain things in order yes. to, to get you to go along with whatever it is they're trying to do. Absolutely. I tell people every day they got to overcome anger because mm-hmm. if you don't overcome this anger, you can be manipulated without even knowing that's what's happening. When I look at all these social justice issues now, these abortion rallies and whether they're for abortion or against abortion, these all these different rallies, I can see that the people are just brainwashed and they don't see what they're doing. They've been educated and because they're angry coming out of the homes, they've been made to believe a lie. And when you ask them, why are you protesting? They don't really know why they're doing it. They'll just repeat what they heard, but they can't even see the real reason that they're out there protesting and carrying on the way they see, because, uh, the way they're doing because they're blind. Right. They guess they see. Do you think, so now that you know what you know about Martin Luther King's agenda, mm-hmm. so what do you think he saw when he went up on top of the mountain and he looked <laughs> over? <laughs> he looked over and he saw the glory of the coming of what? Yeah, it's not so much about what he saw. It's about what a speechwriter saw. Yeah. Again, he didn't he didn't write that speech. Um, and, and it's just one of those things. It's like, to answer your question, I think what he saw was a communist utopia. Yeah. Where the government owns the means of production, uh, where, you know, everything that Karl Marx said would happen if we if we go his way. Uh, would come to fruition. That's what that's what they saw. That's what they envi- envisioned. That's what they wanted. But what we got is seventy uh, percent of black kids born out of wedlock. What we got is is constant gang violence in our inner yeah. cities. What we got is black people complaining about racism that's not there. Yeah. What we got is 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 the expansion of 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 welfare, um, not only in the black community, but in America at large. And for every uh, program, for every policy that we push that is socialist-esque and that expands the government is, is inching us closer and closer uh, to that day where communism will be the, la- the, the law of the land. That's amazing, man. Uh, you've laid it out so well. And I now understand why Martin Luther King was able to speak so well. He learned it from his father and then his writers, the people who wrote for him, apparently they were good writers in that yeah, way. Interceptive. Um, so there's this, um, Martin Luther King has a niece that's mm-hmm. out there, uh, I guess, on the conservative side. She has to know all this about what it was really all about. Why is she pretending that Martin Luther King was of unity and of love and all that rather than saying that he wasn't that. He was about socialism. Uh, why do you, and I don't know her name, but I know he's her niece. Um, why do you think she's not talking about that? Uh, I don't know her. I can't really speculate. Um, I know that she talks a lot about abortion. Right. And uh, how um, abortion was specifically pushed as a good thing to black women. Um uh, but other than that, I don't know. Oh, I'm so not, her thing is know. more about abortion, not about having a dream and all that kind of right. stuff, the fight. From what oh. I understand. Okay. Yeah, from what I understand. Well, that makes sense. So right. let me ask, now that you can see things so clear, the things that you do see, you see it very clearly, it explains it well. It's so clear, you have to want to miss it, not to get it, right? Mm-hmm. What does your family and friends and people who remember you being somewhat of a liberal and all that, how mm-hmm. are they treating you? Um, I don't, well, Jesse, it's hard to say because I don't really 
get caught up in what people think about me. It's really a, a non-issue. Nice. Um, it, it just really, I don't, I don't seek to know. I don't care to know. I don't want to know to the extent that I deal with people on a daily basis. Most of my interactions are very cordial. Um, I don't really uh, keep a lot of, of really close friends to, to begin with. Um, but that's a different thing entirely. But, but that's deep, the, man. That is the, so uh, deep. Yeah. And the thing is, is like it, to the point that you just made, like you do have to want to miss certain things in order to in order to to not get it. You yeah. know, so it just is what it is. Man, that is this is amazing. I, it's just so clear to me and so true. This should be able to change the world back to good. I hope so. It influence a lot of people. I've been fortunate enough that I've seen some of the Uncle um, Tom 2. And I was blown away, man, with some of the insight and the facts that is in this movie. It's like, I thought part one was good, but part two is taking it to a different level. Tell the people why they should make sure they get out to see this movie. Where would it come out? Where would the people be able to see it? What we need to know. Sure. So Uncle Tom 2 will be released on Salem now on August the 26th of this year. Um, so everybody will be able to stream it, um, at that time, uh, we're going to be having a screening in LA, another one in Phoenix, another one in Chicago, and then we're going to have our main, uh, event, our premiere in Dallas on the, on the 26th. Uh, I do invite people to go to uncletom.com to sign up for our newsletter. And by doing that, you'll, you'll be able to get all the information. You'll be able to see, uh, teasers when we release them, trailers when we release them uh, leading up to that day. Uh, the reason why people should watch this film is because it will challenge you to take a second look at everything that you have been taught is true in yeah. schools, by the media, by all of these different institutions. And it will cause you to question, well, why would these people lie to me? Why, why, would, why would they try so hard to keep this, this truth from me? And the, the, the answer, at least my answer to that question, is because they understand that people are easy to control when they're bitter, when they're angry, when they're confused, when they don't know which way is up or down. They're easy to control whenever they're in that state. What this film will do, at least I think it will, is uh, invite you to once again be an individual. Yes. To think for yourself uh, and to seek God, hopefully. Yes. Uh, because Martin Luther King is not God. The civil rights yeah. movement is not, it was not uh, uh, the the threshold for heaven. It just wasn't. Um, and the country that our founding fathers set forth uh, took into consideration history, uh, Greek history, Roman history. It took into consideration the Ten Commandments, and they made the best country uh on this side of heaven. Yes. And, and, and we forget that we forget how important it is to keep our Republic. Uh, and so uh, we don't, we don't want to, to, to make people get angry after having watched the film. We don't want people to, uh, to, to go out and protest and to burn things down. We want people to take a second look to sleep on it and then watch it again uh, right. a, a couple of days later and, and just, you know, determined to be an individual to embrace this country uh, and, and to 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 say 
no to the demagogy and to a lot of the nonsense that is continuing to uh, spin us down this web of confusion that we've been going down for 60 years. Amazing. I have to tell you, man, I was in part one and I have a little part in part two. And it's an honor to be a part of it. I just can't. I'm blessed to be a part of Arkansas part two as well. I really am. But before you're great in that, by the way, <laughs> I, I saw little clips of it and I, I like it. I don't yeah. like what I do, but I, you know, when I see myself, but I like it. I got to put you on the hot seat real fast here. I need oh, you okay, to answer these go. questions <laughs> as quickly as possible. The hot seat. Do we need more white babies? Yes. Is abortion worse than slavery? Yes. Do you believe in climate change? No. Uh, did you uh, get the ga- uh, jab? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, does uh, a chicken have lips? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Route music or country music? Country music. Did you vote for the great white hope? Yes. Uh, who is more evil? If you could be more evil, who is more evil? <laughs> Uh, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, or the uh, uh, what's the great uh, the so-called vice president name? What's her name? Pamela Harris. Yeah, Pamela Harris, Camilla yeah. Harris. They're they're evil triplets. <laughs> Big Mama Michelle Obama. Oh, did Big Mama Michelle? Did Big Mama Michelle Obama eat up all the ribs? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and she shared them with Martin Luther King. <laughs> Is white supremacy real? No. Did you have fun? Absolutely, yes. Man, I totally, totally, totally learned a lot from you today. It was very insightful. And a lot of things I didn't quite know you made quite clear to me. And I definitely appreciate that. Once again, thank you for taking the hot seat. And tell the folks again how they gotta, 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 but gotta watch Uncle Tom Part 2. Yeah, Uncle Tom Part 2 will be out August 26, 2022. Uh, it will be streaming uh, for everybody around the world to see. Uh, go to UncleTom.com uh, to watch it and to sign up and to do all those good things. Amazing. Chad O. Jackson, he is an entrepreneur, an influencer, and best known for his appearance on the uh, 2020 documentary Uncle Tom. And now some more coming up. Thank you, man, for taking the time to come on. It was, I believe that a lot of people will have some insight from this. If they don't, there's nothing you can do. They just don't want to know the (laughs) truth. They just don't want to see it. So thank you again for coming on. I absolutely appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Don't forget to ring the bell. Uh, 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 follow us, subscribe, and again, the Father State is on subscribe star. Ch- click on the little link there in the video description to help support the work. Check out the merch and let me hear from you. I do appreciate it. Have a good one, folks. Thank you. Thank you.